Welcome to another episode of ASX Market Goss. For no more than 30 minutes, we're going to dig a little deeper with an ASX listed small cap company, their focus, the future, the highs, the lows, and what next. And part of that conversation is to get to know our guests at a personal level, their experiences, their mentors, their slips, their slides, even down to their coffee of choice and their sporting team and life away from the share price and investment making decisions. Today's guest is Dr. Michael Winlow, Managing Director of EMRIA. I might have not got that quite right. But anyway, I'll tell you, it's a data-driven drug development and clinical services company. Do I call you Dr. Michael or Dr. Michael? <laughs> Just Michael's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and tell me how I say the company name. Emiria. Emiria. Yeah, I'll right. get that right by the end of it. That's right. Inspired by Myriad. Yes. Uh, that's the homage to our data and our diverse patient set that we look after. Uh, yeah. Well, in simple terms, uh, over the next half hour, we're going to take a people on a journey of Emiria, um, but... How does it all start? Just give me the snapshot of, of how the company started. Yeah. So we were founded really to, to try and develop medicines in a more efficient way. Uh, we start with compounds that look really promising, uh, but where the evidence is lacking. And so in the, a few years ago uh, at our founding, that was the medicinal cannabis uh, products, which were just coming onto the market. The TGA had just changed the rules around medicinal cannabis in 2016. It wasn't until 2018 when we first uh, saw our first few patients uh, at, at Emerald Clinics at the time. Uh, and our goal was really to try and uh, provide these treatments to patients who needed them, for whom their traditional medicines weren't effective. Uh, and we wanted to learn where these new, new treatments could work really effectively and ultimately get the data that could help turn these treatments into registered approved medications for, for mainstream use. Uh, I had a personal background in clinical trials and, and working in a data company. I had uh, worked as a clinician as well. And so it really uh, Emiria was this opportunity to bring all of those professional interests together uh, uh, and um, hopefully make a really big difference. ASX code EMD is if you're looking it up on Emiria, so uh, you can keep an eye on that one and its story. I, I noticed be interest, with interest that um, there's a quote from yourself, or I'm not exactly sure where the quote was from, but I see it written that your company is searching and trying to help people and patients with unmet needs. Can yes. you explain what that exactly is? Yes. So an unmet need is often uh, a, a disorder or a condition for where regular treatments, current treatments are, are not effective or patients aren't hitting their health goals with their regular care. Uh, that turns out to be a huge percentage of patients. Uh, you know, even we, we deal with a lot of depression, for example, and about only a third of patients get adequate relief from current medications, meaning a third don't respond very well and a third do worse off. Uh, and so there's actually, you know, quite a large number of patients uh, collectively for whom standard care is not working. Our specific focus, though, has sharpened in recent years. We focus mainly on four primary uh, big unmet needs. That's in chronic pain, in depression, in trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, and anxiety. Where do you share the workload? Well, I talked about in regards to uh, the data, the drug development, and the clinical services company. The clinical services, I would imagine, uh, is pretty much... Um, your day-to-day -day running of the company, of, of needs of, of people, and all the other stuff is a slow burn and a, and a bigger build. Is that how I'm looking at this? Yeah, I think, you know, drug development is traditionally a very long and protracted, high-risk, high-reward, high but very mm. high-risk uh, endeavour. Uh, long timelines, lots of money. Uh, and so we, we know in order to sort of survive and, and fund that process, uh, we want a core engine that's that's thriving as well, and that's our clinical services arm. That's where we see patients. We hire doctors. We see patients. We we provide access to these unregistered drugs, and we study what's working uh, in those patients. 
and we generate revenues from that work. We also generate, most importantly, clinical data that then can support our drug development work mm. as well. Yeah. I'm always intrigued by laboratories, clinical mm-hmm. laboratories, where you see a lot of people in white coats looking down <laughs> uh, microscopes. Yes. And I was going to say telescopes, but that's a long way away. <laughs> um, microscopes. And what they're coming up with, and, and I don't see any hoopla or bells and whistles. I just see a lot of hard work and a lot of intelligent people. Um, how long and how exhausting is that whole process? It's, it's Well, you know, the, the, the dream of a scientist, you know, working in a lab, a medicinal chemist, is to discover that molecule that's going to make, you know, huge positive change in, in, in people's lives. But to take it from that inspiration phase, if you will, you know, at the lab, at the white coat phase, into a patient... It's, it's an incredibly long and difficult mm, journey. Mm. There are many hurdles that one needs to pass. That compound needs to be safe. It needs to be able to get into the body in the right way. It needs to not be toxic. And so you need to do all of these tests in cell experiments or in animals, eventually into humans uh, through healthy volunteer studies, uh, a field I used to work in, uh, and then ultimately into patients. That journey can take 10 or 15 years, can cost billions of dollars, has a very, very high failure rate. And so uh, it's one of the reasons why we still have so many patients with unmet needs. It's such a long time to wait for a new treatment to come out. Uh, It's one of the opportunities we see by offering a clinical service where we can give access to patients to these new treatments earlier uh, and we can learn what's working. We can provide patients who aren't getting a response from their usual treatment access to the cutting-edge treatments earlier. But importantly, we can also get data that can help us accelerate Mm. and de-risk that drug development. And you're talking about um, patients... Uh, of as young as maybe two and, right. and the elderly. Yeah. How do you convince a mother or father to allow a two-year-old to be yeah. involved in some of these testings? Well, you can imagine, uh, you know, these, these, these patients, these families, they're in, they're in a really uh, sort of a desperate way, obviously. Yeah. They've tried many other things. They're not getting, you know, a response that they want. They might, their next very best option, if they've got a really challenging condition, might be a clinical trial and they've got to sit there in the waiting queue for that and it might be many, many years. And so, uh, of course, if you're a desperate parent, you want to try anything. And, uh, and so uh, they'll often, through a conversation with their, their specialist or their GP, uh, discuss access, you know, treatments that are offered at our clinics, mainly the cannabinoid treatments and soon MDMA-assisted therapy for trauma, uh, for older patients, obviously. Uh, and uh, we accept a referral from those patients. And we first need to see whether they're, they're safe, they're appropriate for these treatments, and, uh, and then we uh, use the very best evidence that we have on hand in order to start those patients on treatment. Did you, have you, and still do, use your, your genuine everyday doctor world, uh, of course, that you were, you mm-hmm. were a practicing doctor, and you still are. Once upon a, problem. a time. Yeah, once upon a time. <laughs> yeah. uh, just tell yeah. us a bit about that in regards to what you, the learnings you took out of that yeah. part of your life into what you're doing now. Came from a medical family. My father was a GP. He worked out in the country in Laverton and in, in, in Geraldton, where I where I spent my. I called the Laverton Cup one year. Did you? Horse really? races, yeah. <laughs> well, he would have been the doctor at that. I flew out to it. It was in the eighties. I flew out to it. Wow, it Is was a, right? it was a hot day, and I was in yeah. I think a six seater plane, and yeah. wow, not so sure I could do that again. <laughs> the leg room <laughs> wasn't great. I've got some amazing photos of those horse races. <laughs> I remember helping my dad out once. He was the doctor. I had to go back to the clinic, stitch some people up. <laughs> who had uh, been in a car accident, I think, Ooh. and he was um, while he was uh, looking after the horse races. Um, so, uh, you know, grew, grew up in a medical family. Were you a qualified uh, doctor at the time? Uh, yeah, Were you was. stitching yeah, people yeah, up? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> just thought you were a young fella. Can I just go right. drop practice. a couple in there, would you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was qualified, yeah, and uh, knew what I was doing, thankfully. Um, uh, the, uh, you know, my, my, my experience as a doctor was, you know, healthcare is a terrific source of problems. I guess personally I was always really interested in 
uh, in data, in technology, I guess in, in, uh, in, in ways of practicing. I felt that a lot of what medicine was, there was a lot of friction in doing medicine well. Uh, a lot of paper records, a lot of, uh, a lot of friction in the system. Um, and my mind at that time, uh, as, a, as a junior doctor, was often looking to places like Silicon Valley and into the future where the conversations were about electronic medical records and big data and uh, using that to change the way medicine was, was practiced. And uh, those, those stories really, really drew me in. And so uh, I was, got involved in a medical device project with a friend of mine uh, as a junior doctor. We founded a company, we raised some local investment money, we got this idea off the ground and suddenly I had this experience uh, that was quite different from being a doctor, which was starting a, starting a company, starting a device, getting, getting fundraising. And it suddenly sort of became clear to me that this was a legitimate career option. This was a high risk, it was, this was a, a different way of approaching healthcare you know, challenges, but uh, an equally legitimate way of building a career. And I felt that I could uh, take those risks without sacrificing you know, all that I had done before uh, that and um, make a career out of being an entrepreneur. Managing Director Dr. Michael Winlow, uh, Miria is with us on ASX Market Goss. Um, when you were just a practicing GP, a doctor, mm -hmm. not just, but when you were, um, yeah. was, there a bit, was there a bit of frustration where you felt like you were providing scripts for patients that were just, I don't know, keeping the water table level and not actually <laughs> coming up with a... Uh, yeah. A, a remedy, so to speak. It was just basically keeping them at arm's length of pain and, and well-being, and that's where you probably said, gee, we can do better than this? Yeah, there was, I mean, there, there, there are absolutely uh, situations like that where you feel that, you know, the tools you have available are really just addressing symptoms, not underlying, you know, causes. Then if you go deeper, you're also dealing with a lot of patients who are ended up very unwell because of you know, their situation at home, their you know, uh, social circumstances, their uh, employment status, uh, these, these seemed like large systemic uh, challenges that, you know, if you're at the pointy end of medicine, uh, you're making, you know, maybe a very small difference to these patients' lives over the long term if all you're dealing with is the acute problem that they've, that they've come in with. So definitely, I guess, I had those different perspective shifts from time to time and, and, uh, and felt that, you know, maybe a potentially larger impact could be made for the health of of, of patients, uh, if you know, through innovation, through whatever that looked like. And at the time, I hadn't, I didn't really know. I just knew, knew I really wanted to get involved in something uh, a bit innovative. Okay, so and just a few moments ago, you mentioned Silicon Valley. I'm always intrigued by Silicon Valley. I'm always yes. intrigued by the way people talk about it. Yes. Give me a paragraph on the Silicon Valley journey for you, and what Silicon Valley is to the listeners who have heard about it, yes. but may not know anything about it. Yeah, Silicon Valley is this, you know, mysterious. Uh, location. It's uh, typically uh, thought of as Northern California, where you know, the home of Apple and Google and, and Facebook, and before that Hewlett Packard and, uh, and, uh, and 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 a special kind of NASA program as well in the early days as well. It's uh, culturally a fascinating place. People come from all around the world. Uh, there are accents from, from from every nation, from people who are trying to you know get us make a start make a difference, do something different, to have one of their ideas. Uh, hopefully, you know into that next great idea and so you've got this culture of uh, optimism and exuberance and crazy ideas and nobody's uh, willing to criticize anyone's silly idea and or, or no matter how young you are or crazy you look uh, every every idea is taken you know seriously can you recall any being connected to anyone or being at a pub and someone said hey i've come up with such and such and now you've seen it blossom into this well, yeah, I remember you know being at cafes and listening you know across and, and, and listening to two people speaking about um, 
uh, certainly AI and big data, and then in, and then slipped with no sense of tension into a conversation about fusion, nuclear fusion. <clears throat> and I thought, this is a very interesting place. Like these, these people, don't, you know, they're, they're quite comfortable dealing in, in these in these completely divergent worlds, and uh, uh, and you can never count them out. That's the one. Are you playing the long game with Miriam? And where are you at? Yeah. Give, give the listeners an idea of where you sit now. And let's go back to the priorities of the business. Yes. What are the priorities right now? The pointy end, what are we looking at? Yeah, so the po- so long-term, you know, investors should look for us to develop, uh, you know, radical new treatments and approaches to some of the most difficult challenges. We've got uh, cannabinoid uh, products, which we've built to our specifications based on all the learnings we've gathered with thousands of patients that we've treated. And we're tackling indications across anxiety and chronic pain with uh, some really unique formulation of cannabinoid medicines. Our most advanced program is in phase three trials, which is the last step towards registration. We also have some really interesting work working with MDMA-assisted therapy. So this is using ecstasy uh, alongside intensive psychotherapy with patients with severe trauma to really help uh, unstick those patients and hopefully make really profound therapeutic breakthroughs uh, with those patients. There's a lot to learn about how to deliver those treatments safely as well. And we have an active trial program in that space with some psychiatry partners as well. Fundamentally, though, our clinics are very busy. They're in high demand, and we're making uh, investments there to strengthen and broaden our clinical services so that we can fund the long-term work of the drug development and get that to the finish line. What about people who are listening who uh, like the cut of your cloth and have liked what they've heard so far from you personally and about the business? Um, You're looking at people jumping on and investing and believing. Mm. Is it a difficult time to get people on board? And But do you feel like if you are playing the long game and it sounds like you won, you're winning and you're getting some results and you're obviously very confident about the future, how, do you, how, how are you dealing with maybe the COVID world first and foremost and getting investors on board? Yeah. Look, uh, there's no question biotech uh, investment support has, has waned globally. I think from the highs of just after you know, COVID hit, lots of th- enthusiasm for biotech, that sort of pulled back. A lot people are nervous about the economy, and so therefore that long-term investment is maybe uh, more difficult to to attract uh, than it has been. But I think if you're looking for, uh, you know, solid plays, uh, companies that are grounded, you know, in evidence, who are doing frontline clinical care, uh, I believe you know we're the only company that I know of on the ASX that has a clinical service arm and a drug development arm. Probably one of the few companies in the world uh, that uh, that can that has those capabilities as well. So I feel very optimistic about where we're headed. And, um, and I think our investors who, who get that story, it, look, admittedly, we're not just a drug development company and we're not just a clinical services company. So investors have to understand how we're linking those two worlds together. And that's uh, you know, something new, I think, for, for, for people. But once you can appreciate how the advantages that bringing those two worlds together can deliver for, for drug development and for our work, and we're doing great work for our patients as well, then I think we're a really terrific story to um, I want to get flip back to you just briefly. Um, let's go and get to know you, Michael, a little sure. bit. Um, what's your coffee of choice? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm having my second one for yeah, the day. Yeah. Look, uh, you know, I've been back in Perth for a few years, and I've got uh, into these long macs with uh, you know topped up three three quarters is usually the uh, the way. Although I might. In the, in the States, they used to have something called a pumpkin spice latte around uh, this time, which is kind of like a... I get the, my closest approximation is to put chai, chai tea uh, flavouring gotcha. into yeah, have a dirty chai, so that's probably what I like it into. And what do you uh, like away from this space? What's your passions? You got any other passions? Yeah. Well, I've got two beautiful kids. 
my wife and I are celebrating our 13th wedding anniversary nice. today. Which, uh, oh, fantastic. Which just remind people that we, <laughs> we are today the 12th day of June. We're recording That's this. Right. Send what, you do, what are you doing? So, so, so remembering this will be aired shortly. <laughs> yes. But so the 12th of June, what have you, what did you buy for the Oh, yeah. Well, so uh, wife? we have, um, I've set her up with uh, a lovely, you know, spa treatment. I've got... Uh, yeah, you better be telling the truth because this is going to go oh, to air in a few days' no, 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 time. No, no, no. She'll say, hang on, I didn't yeah, get yeah, any yeah. of this. Well, I've already given her my, one of the gifts. So I choreographed with my daughter. We did a, um, like, a, a at-home spa treatment. We had uh, the special candle and oh, around, around the bath, cool. the romantic bath, and the special uh, socks we got her. You just throw the rose petals in the lovely. bath? Uh, the dog had chewed those up. Oh. I'm, I'm not lying. <laughs> we had, um, it was actually a... Um, uh, I can't remember what the flower was. It's got big, big pink petals anyway, and our little puppy. Ah, uh, uh, nice. But uh, we um, we did a lovely spa treatment. I also got these terrific coasters, which have pictures from all around WA and them, which I got from the merchant ah. in that Swanbourne. Oh, oh very, very, very cool. Yeah. Uh, well, congratulations first and foremost. Uh, what else? What other passions apart from family, children, and uh, 13 yeah. years of so marriage? I, I, I love playing guitar as well. I have uh, a couple of guitars at home, and most evenings I'll probably. Uh, Wind down with uh, noodling around. Are they the just the, the normal guitar? Are they plug in? Electric? It's an electric guitar. Yeah, oh, okay. I have an acoustic as well, but uh, okay. the electric I can I can get the. Uh, and the neighbours okay with this? Oh yeah, it's very quiet. <laughs> it's just for me. Well, you are quiet, <laughs> or, quiet, or the yeah. neighbourhood's quiet. <laughs> I'm quiet. <laughs> They've yeah. all moved out. Yeah. That's uh, okay, so music's your thing, uh, yeah. and movies. Am I, am I? Are you a movie buff? Oh, I, I do like movies, but uh, I, w- I wouldn't say I'm a buff. I have uh, mm-hmm. limited time to go out to films, yeah. Yeah. Just to make them at, at, at med school, I guess. I uh, made a lot of short films uh, during my time in med school and that okay. I'm interested in. Well, I'm in interested too. Arts. I'm yeah, interested yeah. too. Tell us yeah. about what. Tell us about the movie making. Well, we used to have these uh, big dinners every year. Every year group was encouraged to put a film together, which <laughs> was normally just like, hey, this is us, you know, where I turn these into these elaborate plots. I managed to get break into the tower at UWA, get to the very top of the tower, film this amazing scene where I had all the all my classmates create words on the ground with their bodies. Um, and that was, uh, you know, that got me quite infamous. And then after that, the stakes got higher and higher. And of course, the, the films had to get more and more crazy. <laughs> cool. Yeah, which was really fun. Uh, do you have any interest in sort of books and sport? And uh, it sounds like you're just so busy. So you probably <laughs> have got no time for any of the extra bits. But have you got any passions for, because you're, you're Jero boy, aren't you? Well, yeah, you, you, well, grew up there, first 15 years of my life, yeah. Yeah. so halfway through year 10, and then I came to boarding school. To, Two good uh, things come out of Jero, you and the highway. And the highway. I say <laughs> yeah, that about Bunbury, because right. I'm a Bunbury boy, I can say that about anywhere. Yeah, that's <laughs> and crayfish. Yeah, yeah. yeah, good point, the crayfish coast. Crayfish too, yeah, Chris Mainwaring. Yeah, yeah what a legend, well, some wonderful footballers out of there, sports yeah, right, people so, in general. Um, so, uh, yeah, come out of Jero, uh, other, other, other hobbies, yeah, I like podcasts, if I'm travelling on the road, I listen to uh, mainly... Uh, One's about physics, actually, and, and philosophy. Uh, and ASX cool. Market Goss. And ASX, ASX Market Goss, yes, I have. I've been enjoying your, your podcast. <laughs> the Gazali one's great. So uh, yeah, Clive, he was a certain Clive, winner Clive, yes. in recent times. Um, what's the first thing you do when you wake up, business-wise? So you, you've, you've dealt with the family, and you go, okay, I'm going into Emiria now. I'm going to the Emiria space in my head. Are you a, Everyone, and we've had over 14 or 15 people sat sit in this chair, and the first thing they do, they turn on their laptop and they go to their emails. Yes. You? Yeah, I'd say it's a similar process. I have a fairly disciplined email uh, approach where the only emails sitting in my inbox are the most important to-dos from that I've triaged the day before. Okay. Uh, so it becomes like my to-do list, and I can see, you know, uh, it, it's good, good advice to work on the hardest thing first. It's it so incredible you say that, Michael, because we've had people in here that yeah. say they have a thousand things to do. And they have a, right. they put it on a big board, yep. 
and they just keep moving them around and they do not sweat the small stuff. They don't right. say it's not important, yes. but they triage what You've needs to, to be done. That yeah, is Smart people, see, that's why there's smart people sitting <laughs> in that chair over there. Yeah, that's it. You, you, you know, you've got to manage your personal energy. You, you understand this as you get older. You, got, you know, you, you, when in the day do you give your best work? When can you uh, apply yourself? And quite often you can make tremendous progress in just a few hours, a few focused hours without distraction can kind of carry you for the rest of the week. Uh, and, uh, and Mine is scooping leaves out of the pool, <laughs> clearing the yard of dog droppings. Nice. Oh, yes. I have these challenges too, but that's Sunday's work for me. <laughs> yeah, mine's every day. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm the housekeeper, the gatekeeper, the, the <laughs> I'm everything. Yeah, nice. uh, but I, so I, I like that. So that that is your daily start to the day. You prioritise, you've already prioritised and you that's work right. on those things. That's right, yeah. What's your, what's your work motto? What's your work motto? If you were to walk into an office and, you know, put up a motto on the wall and <laughs> have some investors come in, just yeah. tell us what the motto would be. Look, I think it's... Um, it's something about the future belongs to the optimists. Uh, it's very easy to be cynical. It's very easy to be uh, negative, pessimistic. Uh, you can convince yourself you're clever if you've, you know, back, you know, said something, uh, predicted a, a poor outcome for a company, and, and it turns out to be true. It's much harder to be an optimist and to uh, to you know to believe that the future can be better than today, and and that carries people. And all the great things that have been accomplished in the world have been done by people who believe that tomorrow could be better than today and have put their passion, heart and soul into that. And I think that ties into the fact that if you believe in the cause is enough, if, the, if it's meaningful enough what you're trying to do, then you can weather all of the challenges and the, and the persistence and, and the effort is, is its own reward. Yeah. Are you winning? Yes, I think we absolutely are. I think, you know, our private victories are incredible. I mean, uh, and there's always a disconnect between the ASX performance, whatever that squiggly line tells you. Do you look at the? Do. do you look at the market? Do you look at? It? Do you look every day? Uh, look, I do. I do. And uh, is that a good thing? Well, well look, I, I I do it purely just to uh, be ready in case a shareholder calls me up in, in you know sure. either in a panic or to congratulate me. I need to know because sometimes uh, you know the, the the days that we go up or down uh, are not connected to you know what's going on within the business. So uh, look, I do look just to be ready, but um, of course one needs to. Uh, you know, detach themselves from, mm. from that number because mm. it is surreal. It can go down on very small trades, and, you know, and then the sentiment of a, a few people. And I have to remember that, you know, we're not here to uh, to convince everybody. You know, um, and uh, you know, we're here to we're here to kick a few good, you know, strong goals, and success will come. You know. Uh, so, with regards to your shareholders, do you uh, and you can look at the data and the data of of the comings and the goings of it. Do you try and get feedback from them as to why they've bailed out or why they've come on board? Are you looking for sort of feedback, uh, con continual feedback to, to help drive the workings of the company? I do. I, I, do. I uh, you know, I'm, uh, we use a software which allows me to look at who the top movers are and, and, and where possible I try and get their contact information so I can keep in touch with them. We have an investor hub where I encourage live Q&A with every announcement because uh, I really believe in, in formats like this, to have those long-form conversations so people can really get to understand, you know, what it is we're doing and why things go up or down. Um, you know, it could be a single seller might bring the story down or, or your stock price down. Uh, that's, you know, and people call, refer to that as the market, as if the market has some crazy wisdom or insight into what's really going on. Often that's not the case. Mm. And so you just have to uh, remind yourself that, remind your other shareholders that that is, uh, is the case as well. Do you think it's important that the shareholders, the investors, know your story and like today some of them would have no idea about Michael Winlow at all but right. now they would get away from this half an hour and go yeah. hey I've got a 
a, a, a better understanding of what makes him tick, what his views are, where we're going as a company, rather than yeah. seeing on a piece of paper, they actually hear the voice. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think I think more people want they want to believe in the in the founder in the mission. They want to invest in companies that they that they care about, that they think are doing good for the world as well. And I hope that our investors feel the same. And I and I know I want to attract more of those kinds of investors to our to our story as well because I I do believe we're doing something fun. I think the uh, and important and relevant. I think the journey is exciting, and that our followers will will uh, will get a kick out of it and 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 get and enjoy get the satisfaction not not only knowing that they're doing good for the world, but they're also doing well financially. Last couple before we let you go. It's been an intriguing chat. I'm going to get you to pitch in a moment to people who are listening for the first time. We do have a lot of outside listeners who listen based on being simpletons like me, who don't understand really about the world but are keen to invest, and uh, whether it be uh, with you, of course, or or, or others who have sat in your chair. Um, Do you miss the cut and thrust of being an everyday doctor? I do. I get enough drama, though, being on the VSE of a listed company. (laughs) I tell you what. um, Look, at the end of the day, all of the all professional roles come down to you know working with with great people and uh, and, and and managing a team. So um, look, uh, I, I do get I do feel that we're uh, you know we're 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 making a big difference to important health problems, and so that that part of uh, the career is, is is there. I'm dealing with scientific language and medical language and doctors every day, so I still feel like I'm getting a lot of that exposure uh, as well. But uh, I, I also get to um, to talk about drug discovery and. and molecular science and trials and also the markets as well very interesting we haven't touched on the emiria uh staff tell mm-hmm. us a bit about your team yeah we have an we have an amazing team of course we are bringing together three worlds data science clinical delivery uh, and drug development all based all based in perth yeah. wow that's we, fantastic we have a very international board we have uh, some some incredible uh individuals on our board sir john took knighted for services to medicine based in london uh an, an advisor to google DeepMind at one point uh, and uh, a clinician researcher who's been involved in learning health systems. These are health services that uh, have a high priority on collecting good information on patient care and outcomes and, and improving what they do. And so his guidance has been very helpful for us. We have Dr. Karen Smith in Aspen, Colorado, a big biopharma executive. Uh, she was on boards of multi-billion dollar companies in the US. And so uh, Matt Callahan and Stuart, local boys who Matt's now in the US as well, uh, involved in drug development, lots of biotech startups. So really... Great sort of leadership from the board, very diverse set of experiences. And our local team here, we've managed to find some people with some really deep talent. Perth's actually got some great life sciences talent. We're not known for a life sciences uh, state yet, I'd say, mainly mining and other industries. But uh, there are some terrific people who spent time overseas, got great experience now working in Perth. And- they need to work for us. Yeah. So how many in, in the office? How many, how many, sorry, not the office, but how many work inside the business here in WA? Yeah, roughly? we've got about uh, 15 to 20 clinicians. Yeah, that's big. In WA and, and uh, we have some uh, clinicians over east as well wow. uh, serving the east coast. We provide our clinical services now through telehealth to the whole country so we can actually serve patients all around, this, all around the country. Uh, and in the corporate office, there are another 15 people who work on our data, our drug development uh, and the corporate work too. Much same, bigger, much bigger than a lot of people, much bigger than yeah. most people have sat in that chair. Yes. Right. Interesting. Um, okay, give us the short, the medium and the long term. Short term, we're here to conclude our phase three trial, get one of our cannabis medicines registered. We want to be the first and leading group in the world to offer MDMA-assisted therapy for post-traumatic stress disorder to major unmet need, 500,000 Australians affected with treatment-resistant PTSD. Uh, we need better treatments to, to help those patients and we see a huge potential for 
uh, MDMA-assisted therapy, but it's challenging to deliver and we need uh, to apply our intellect and resources to figure out how to do that in a cost-effective way for, for the community uh, and, uh, and, and scale that up. So that's the short term, really, to kick goals in those trial programs. Over the longer term, we've got an analogue program, some novel drug discovery that we're doing with UWA. We think that these compounds could become brand new, really important medications for neuroscience and mental health. So we're taking those through the long, slow journey. Uh, that's the sort of the long-term vision. Uh, and I'd say in the medium term, look for our clinical services to grow and do really remarkable things and become a place where patients aren't coming just for access to a, a new treatment. They're coming to get well, and they know that we measure and deliver fantastic outcomes. So here's your time to pitch for Amiria. Uh, so there's investors, there's share people with the little short share portfolios are thinking of where do they dive in next. Yeah. Here's your chance. Yeah. Why? Well, look, I mean, all companies exist to solve really important problems. Uh, mental health is a growing challenge uh, in our community, in our society, in societally. It's a major unmet need since the pandemic. Uh, most practitioners uh, would say that incidents of depression and anxiety have increased, that the severity of these problems have grown as well. Unfortunately, our supply, our, our capacity to service these, these patients uh, and these, these problems have, has, has diminished. Many psychiatrists can no longer see patients or have closed their books and you can't get to see them. So we clearly have a huge challenge on our hands. How do we actually make a difference to these patients uh, who have you know, severe mental health uh, challenges? We need better treatments, we need better ways of caring for them. And Miriam's mission is to deliver those, those treatments and those care models uh, for those patients, make a massive difference to them. And of course, given the, given the scale of the problem, it's a global challenge we're trying to address. We can figure out how to do that well. Uh, we think we can do very, very well you know, financially and make a massive positive impact as well. Absorbing, intriguing um, and inspirational. You've been, it's been a great chat and I'm sure we could go on and on and on. We try and keep people's attention spans to half an hour. So thank you for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Michael Winlow, uh, sharing the insights and the journey on the ASX market, Goss, and all the best with Amiria in the future. That ASX code is EMD. Look it up and have a look at its journey. That is another episode done and dusted. We love your feedback. You can make a comment, like us, share us, tell your colleagues, counterparts, or community. Spread the word now, whatever platform you're listening, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and rss.com. We just want some feedback. So keep an ear and eye out for our next episode. Until then, we'll keep digging to find more guests to chat about with their ASX market goss and their companies. ASX code EMD, Dr. Michael Winlow. Thanks for joining us and happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank you very much. Awesome to be here. The content of this podcast is intended to be general in nature and is not personal financial product advice. It does not address the circumstances of any individual or entity. You should not construe any of this information or other part of the material as legal, tax, investment, financial or other professional advice. ASX Market Goss and its employees are not financial advisors. You should consider seeking independent legal, financial, taxation or other advice to check how any information relates to your unique circumstances. Nothing contained in this podcast constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement or offer by ASX Market Goss or any third party to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in this or any other jurisdiction in which such solicitation or offer would be unlawful under the securities laws of such jurisdiction.